2: so i started making little products and these small forays if you will into entrepreneurship just got bigger and bigger over time and to share one of my favorite things that i did i wrote a romance novel it had nothing to do with what my personal finance stuff was but it was still a skill that i built through blogging and writing and freelancing it was just being deployed in a different way and i want people to kind of think about that i'm like your skills can be used in a lot of different ways. And so one day I was like, you know what? I read these romances all the time. Like I could write a romance. I wrote one and that first month I made $514, I believe is what I made. And that's a big deal because I mentioned that my mortgage was less than $600. That was my mortgage. And so I started like really thinking about well what are the products that I could create like I made a course because of that book sale and it's just kind of grown over time and I think anyone who's listening to this and they're like I'm nervous to do these things I tend to act fast and then go back and refine I don't have this like perfectionist thing that a lot of people have I've made a lot of money imperfectly and I'm okay with that.
0: You're listening to Yo Quiero Dinero, a personal finance podcast for the modern Latina. I'm your host, Janice Torres, award-winning Latina personal finance expert. I didn't always have my financial shit together, but when I started looking for POC-friendly personal finance podcasts, I couldn't find any. And so Yo Quiero Dinero was born. On this show, I'll show you how to make dinero, how to keep your dinero, and most importantly, how to make it grow. Each week, I'm connecting you with the most brilliant minds in the world of money and business, so you can learn about investing, entrepreneurship, and building wealth. The best part? I'm dishing up all this knowledge with a sassy side of sasson. So if you're ready to be poderosa with your dinero, you've come to the right place. Let's dive in. Before we hop into today's conversation, I want to remind you to follow us on social. If you're loving this podcast and you want more community, you want to find out more about our events and all the stuff that we have going on behind the scenes, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, YouTube, Instagram, and everywhere else you love to hang out on the internet. If you're loving this podcast, please take a moment to leave us a review if you listen to us on Apple. It's the easiest way to share our podcast with people that you know and love, and it helps us get discovered by amazing listeners like you. So take a moment, leave us a review, share us with your friends and family, subscribe so that you never miss an episode, and make sure to check out our blog, YoQuieroDineroPodcast.com, where you can sign up for our email list and you'll never miss an episode. Plus, you get exclusive invitations to our live events, special discounts for our digital courses, And as always, our best personal finance tips and advice to help you be poderosa with your dinero. Thanks for listening. Now, let's get into the episode. Michelle, welcome to the podcast. I am so excited for you to be here. This has been a long time coming and you were gracious enough to invite me on your show. So now I'm so, so excited to reciprocate the favor.
2: I am so excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Let's start off with an introduction.
0: Tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do.
2: So, hi, everyone. My name is Michelle Jackson. No relation to the Michael Jackson, even though technically I do have an Uncle Michael Jackson, (laughs) and he's awesome. So, I am uh, very much positioned in the personal finance space, even though I do create content in other niches. But one thing that is a constant in the content that I create is a focus on equity, access, and policy. So even though I'm in the personal finance space and then these other niches that might seem random to you, I'm going to share what they are. I talk about Colorado. I talk about online brand building. I actually do have a romance Pin name, which is super fun. It makes money, so I like to keep it. All of those projects have a deep emphasis on access, equity, representation, policy. So if you were to land on my pin name for my romance project, you would see that I'm trying to amplify the voices of stories of color and Black authors. Similarly, when I talk about Colorado, I'm talking about access to the outdoors and normalizing black and brown faces and outdoor spaces. It's taken a while, (laughs) but I have really focused on that as my mission and my purpose, maybe a little crazy to do, but it's been a lot of fun. And now things have really come together. And as a side note, the project I'm known for is Michelle is Money Hungry and when I created that name, it was funny because I knew that some people would be upset with the name because they would interpret it from a almost like a biblical way, like greed and all that. And I was like, I just called it that so that you would remember the name <laughs> and also to normalize telling myself it's OK to want to earn Money, Because I knew for myself that I would have to tell myself this over and over again for a very long time. Unfortunately, due to like financial scripts that I had that I was aware of that it seemed like it was just taking a really long time to break through.
0: I love the fact that your whole brand and just like everything that you do has this overarching theme of equity and inclusion and just normalizing that we belong in this space. Because I feel like for a long time, the personal finance community was just hella white, white male dominated, very fucking vanilla. And it's like, why? Everybody's interacting with money. Everybody's experiencing money, whether you are black, brown, wherever you're from. And we need more voices that feel culturally relevant, that feel not so exclusive. And like, there's just this boys club that you need to be invited to, to have these conversations around money. So I love what you're doing. You're definitely like one of the OGs in this space. So I want to give you all your flowers because you were doing this before it was fucking cool. And as a result, you've been able to invite so many other folks into the space. And I want to kind of get to know more of that backstory. So how did you find yourself? in the personal finance space cuz i feel like most of us this is not an intentional thing that happens it's just some shit that you start showing up and like people start
2: calling you a money expert <laughs> so my story is really painful <laughs> yeah. the reason why i ended up in the space was there's a statistic that Black women and other women of color in particular need to familiarize themselves with, which is something that I became very aware of, which is for Black women, 51% of us, that's around the statistic, I think it's probably gone up because of COVID, will find ourselves in the role of being a financial caretaker for someone that we love, a family member, a friend. It will happen younger than you expect, It will happen in a way that you're just like, what the hell? Like, I was completely unprepared. It will happen absolutely when you're completely financially unprepared, which was the case for me. So I was in graduate school. I was auditioning for videos. I'm actually in a music video for an artist I can no longer be like, I'm in a music video. (laughs) And it's in a video that is like the most like benign, like sweet, it's a beautiful video, I can no longer be like, I'm in that video because <laughs> of who it is. And I bet you could guess. I'm sure you can get it on the first Oh,
0: play.
2: oh, <laughs> Exactly. Okay. So I was like dancing and auditioning for, I'm from Colorado, so I was like trying to be a Denver Nuggets dancer and... Denver Broncos cheerleader. And like, those were the things I was doing. And I was going to hip hop classes and then going to graduate school. And my mom had lost her job. But the thing is, at that point in time, it was very easy for a very long time for boomers. Like if they changed jobs or lost jobs, they could just like pick up a job. It just was quick. And in retrospect, I think when this happened with my mom, it was really at the point where technology was really starting to come together and really kind of impact how people were looking for jobs, like keywords and just things were happening that my mom hit this headwind. She was looking for jobs and I was like, this is weird because usually like she has one faster, but I wasn't necessarily worried until one day my mom's like, I can't find a job. I need help. And I'm gonna be clear, I was living in a studio and I had to support my mom living in a studio. Even thinking about it, it's like, ugh, it's it's a hard time. We moved in together. The thing is, at the same time, there was an immigrant family who lived on the first floor in the place that I was living in. So I was living in Boulder, Colorado. That's where I grew up. One of the wealthiest towns in the United States. Houses right now in that town go on average for a million dollars. That's where coach prime is going to coach. If you're into college football, I'm living there. There are very few black people. And this is like, just, there's no context for this. I'm like, what? And there's this lovely, lovely, lovely family. I want to say from Morocco that lived on the first floor. And what's so interesting is I hadn't really paid attention to this family that much other than in passing, but there were, I think, around 12 people living in their studio, including two infants. I'll never forget this. And they were the sweetest, most generous, kindest neighbors. Right. And so I'm in this experience and I'm feeling like so many weird emotions around like, why is this happening to me? And then guilt because there's this family of 12 downstairs. Why can't you like, it will be something that impacts me emotionally for the rest of my life. It took about three years for that to like resolve itself. Things are good now. Things are good. (laughs) Like things are great, but it was very, very, very stressful. I would just see hundreds of letters. So again, this is when things were changing. I would just see letters coming in all the time, just rejecting my mom over and over again. So I wasn't financially at a point where I could manage like the expenses of two people. I had debt, like everything was a mess and we scraped by and I was working at Starbucks. Thank you, Starbucks. I appreciate Starbucks because they kept me in coffee and money and student loans. Years later, I was like, this still affects me. And what if I'm not the only person out there who's had this experience? Like I need to get this off my chest. I need to share it. And so randomly there was a conference in my town. It was being held the second year of this conference and all these people, like I'd begun like reading people's blogs and I was like, Oh my God, these people are going to be a Denver. Ah! You know, like I was like super excited and I was like fangirling and I'm like, I don't really have a lot of money. Cause I didn't that year. I was still in a lot of debt. Like it was like a nuclear bomb. It had lit my finances on fire, but this conference was gonna be in my town. It was only gonna be like 120 bucks or $100 and they fed you. And I was like, wait a minute, I don't really have this money, but I'm gonna go to this thing and my favorite bloggers are gonna be there. I'm just so excited. And it's weird because people don't really remember me from that year at that conference, even though I'm a very big extrovert and things like that. But that conference really changed my life because I was really understanding the power of story. And I met these people who are friends to this day. They have uplifted me. They have given me so much love and support. And without these people, I just would not be doing what I'm doing now. But I learned that I was not unique That my story was not unique. It just was that I was in a place where I didn't see this playing out in lots of other families, right? Because of that, that's how I got into personal finance blogging because I fell in love with the stories that other people were sharing and I met my idols. (laughs) And then I was like, you know what? I gotta write too. And my blog sucked. (laughs) In the beginning, like it is painful. But I loved it and I needed it energetically and it's just evolved over time and it's been a huge blessing to me. I will say though, I don't reference myself as a financial expert only because there's just so much I still have to learn. There's so much time that I have to make up for financially because I was, again, a financial caregiver and that really impacted my mindset, my money, my focus, it was just very stressful. And I've given myself a lot of grace because of that. But that also means as I move forward in my business, when we start talking about that, that I have some very, very aggressive earnings goals to kind of balance that out. Like they have to happen now. And we're talking at a point in time where I'm like, wow, like I've I've hit my stride and it's taken a long time.
0: Yeah, I love that you were inspired by people and then found a way to show up in a way that felt authentic to you by starting your own blog. And I think a lot of people can definitely resonate with that. I know for me, I started following food bloggers and I was like, I want to do this too. I started following personal finance podcasters. I want to do this too. Just like allowing yourself to lean into those things that pique your curiosity are so much fun. But what I find is that too often, people don't allow themselves to just try things because they start marrying themselves to like a certain expectation or they have to be successful by a certain amount of time. Did you go into it with a specific goal in the beginning?
2: No and yes. Actually, I'm lying a little bit. When I started, I didn't really have goals, but I was very excited about one thing, which was passive income, which is not passive. (laughs) Like, no one is clear enough about the fact that passive income, especially in the beginning, is not passive. It's a lot of work. And for me to even get to the point where that would be a thing, I had to clear up a big amount of debt. Like, I had just like other things going on that I had to focus on first before even in a business, I could do those other things. So, when I first started, it was just sharing my story. Like, it wasn't as common to monetize your content. It was still at that point in the personal finance space where people were like, we're a little low-key conflicted about what's it like to monetize a personal finance brand. And rightfully so, because With personal finance, I think there is a lot of room to do shady things. You have to be so careful and so self-aware and you could slip up. So at the point when I started, there was still this ongoing conversation around like, should we, should we not monetize what we're doing? And then that was around the time when Pinterest really hit. And people were like, oh, wait a minute, we're putting in all this work into what we're doing. And there is a point where we need to be compensated for the work we're doing. And here's a way for us to do that without deeply getting in the pockets of our readers. And so that really changed how I perceived monetization, just watching what people were doing and how they were able to earn income with their projects. The other thing is I met so many millionaires making money online. And I knew what they were doing. I knew the amount of work they were doing. I knew what their goals were. And I saw them really achieve. That kind of changed it for me where I was like, when the moment is right, I would love to attract that into my life. It's clear this is not the moment cause I got that $60,000 that I gotta like clean up because I can't focus because there's so many like people texting me and calling me and emailing me like I had to clean that up before I could really hyper focus on growing income with my business. And I think that that's also something that not enough people talk about. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you
0: know, it's so true. There's a action plan you have to put in place. And I know for me, when I was thinking about becoming a full time entrepreneur, I knew psychologically, I need to be out of debt because I cannot be out here like, owing somebody money and then god forbid the business doesn't do as well or there's some sort of downturn or whatnot like i don't want to be in a position where i'm forced to go back to work just to start paying bills so i'm curious what were you doing like
2: for full-time work while you were building out your business so the other thing that kind of happened at the same time was i burnt out spectacularly what happened was i was in a job for 10 years I really loved that job until I hated it. And so there were a couple of things that came up. This might resonate with listeners. I worked at a university. I worked with international students learning English as a second language. It was a blessing to work that job. I loved it. These were adults. So they were from like 17 to 65 years old, business people, people who were going into undergrad, graduate school, PhD, what have you. I had a job that when I first started working there, they actually thought the center would close because it was still like the aftermath of 9-11. It was like a few years later, but it was like the aftermath of 9-11, deeply impacting businesses like that across the world, but in particular in the US. And so I didn't know when I got that job, it took four months to even get hired on. It was a very long process. So I knew the girl who had left that job because she was still on campus. And I figured out right away why she left the job, which was every day I would go to work and my colleagues would be like, well, I wonder when the center is going (laughs) to close. I'd be like, what? My mom just left my house. I'm in debt. Like all this stress. Oh my God. And you're telling me it took four months to get a job that's about to end. (laughs) Like, like it was crazy. And the thing was, these colleagues had started working there when I was born. So they were lifers, which is very common in the international language space, like the ESL. Like These folks are very mission-driven. They love their jobs. They work usually at the same center forever, and it's great. But every day, I would go to work, and this is what they'd say. About a year in, it was a year in, and I'm just stressed. I'm always stressed out. This is why I relaxed so much, because I was so stressed, Right living with my mom, that gets all set, in debt, people ask me for money, I'm just stressed out, four months to get a freaking job, then it might close. And then a year later, one day, the phone starts ringing off the hook all day long. This would happen for, I'd say about two years, just all day long, to the point where like, what the hell? And what happened was the Saudi Arabian cultural mission released the equivalent of billions of dollars of money investing in its young people from undergrad to PhD level students. And what happened was Saudi Arabia saved my job. Thank you, Saudis, because we had so many people coming in. And then the Kuwaitis, then it just was like this ripple effect. And all day long, we would get calls from guys named Mohammed. (laughs) It was so funny. Like my middle name's Michelle. There are a lot of Michelle's. Saudi has a lot of Muhammads And they'd be like, did you get my application? I'm like, which Muhammad are you? Like, which one? <laughs> because we had so many applications. They blessed me, thank you. To this day, my favorite students. They were the easiest to work with. But all day long, Muhammads would be calling and they would be bringing their families, their wives, their kids, and they were a blessing. And that saved my job. So my role was immigration, admissions, supervising the student assistants, events. You see where this is going? It's a big job. So when I start working, I was working with about 50 students in-house and 50 coming. When I quit, it was about 300 students in-house and 300 coming. This does not include the stuff that they do as grownups, right? Like the mess they get into. So it was just so much. So I burnt out spectacularly. And I had situations like many women of color where I had some very difficult times at work. And I'm going to give one very specific example. I had a colleague who wouldn't speak to me for five years. Remember, I worked this job for 10 years. If she saw me, she would roll her eyes. She would sigh when I spoke in in meetings. It just was now, she was the worst with me. She did this to other people, but she was the worst with me. If we walked down the hall, she would sometimes like, you know, like it was just crazy. So for five years, I had a colleague like that. Five years. And so one day, like towards the end, I was like, you know, I love this job. I feel guilt, but I just, I want to try this online thing. And finally I wanted to quit. And then I was like, no, I'm going to, I'm going to stay. And then two years later, I was like, I'm quitting. And I put in a four month notice. I was the only person doing immigration. I do not recommend four month notices, but I was very well respected in my role. They actually threw a party for me across campus. So like people all across campus came and like said their goodbyes. It was a beautiful send off, but it was a very, very hard decision because I was like, I'm going to do this thing that I don't even know that I'm equipped to do. I've got debt. Everything about this is crazy, but I was stressed out. I thought I was going to have a heart attack at work. This was not an unfounded fear because black women are dying at very high rates from heart attacks and stress. So that last year in particular, I'm still friends with the student assistants that I managed years later. Like we all live in the same city. Right. And they were like, Michelle, <laughs> like that last year we knew you we were just like checked out because I would go hiking for two hours a day. I would just go. I'd be like, cause I was salaried. What would they say to me? So I would go up the hill and go into the mountains, just hike around (laughs) and just be like, this is the only way I can still show up for this job because I'm so stressed out. Then I'd go to hot yoga because the hot yoga studio was down the street. (laughs) They and so like, I, you get, fire me if you want at this point, I don't give a shit. <laughs> but they really couldn't because of how they hired me. <laughs> they don't do this anymore. The state of Colorado doesn't do this anymore. But the way that my position was set up it was very, very, very difficult to get rid of me, which is why that other lady was still working, actually, because she was kind of hired similarly to me. And it took a long time to, to get her out because she was horrible with me, but she was horrible with everyone. You know, people are consistent. But I was like, you can't fire me. It's gonna take a while. (laughs) And I did a good job. It wasn't like I was bitchy because I was stressed out, but I did a really good job. And then finally one day I was like, you know what? Deuces. (laughs) And what I did was I gave this long notice, but at the same time I bought a ticket to Australia. And I was like, I'm going from Denver to LA to Hawaii to Australia, I'm gonna watch the tennis open. And then I'm gonna come back. And it was a two month break that I did overseas. I am so glad that I did that. It took me a year for me to physically feel well. So I was not well. And so I tell you this long story to say, I quit in the most ridiculous way possible, but I don't have kids. I have a dog. i don't have a goldfish. I don't have it. I am my mother's only child. She will bitch at me. But she would be like, you know what, I'll help you out. But <laughs> So I was just like, I'm out. Like, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> so yeah,
0: that's what I did. That's an incredible story. I have a couple questions for you. You mentioned you gave them a four month notice. Were you doing anything with your finances during that time to kind of prepare for being self employed?
2: I still had debt and stuff, but I had a huge amount of PTO. So I had like money, not tons, but I had money that would sustain me. And I was like, there's tons of jobs out here. Like I can side hustle. I was just like, I was fine. I just had to get away from these people cause they're gonna kill me. Oh, and the other part was the commute. This was the other part that I had to mention. So I was working at the university in the town that I grew up in, but I lived in Denver. And so I was commuting back and forth and they were working on the highway for the last couple of years of my job. So um, we had explosive growth here. What used to take as a child 20 minutes in terms of driving back and forth, it was two hours each way. And so I took the bus because we all had bus passes and it was a commuter. And I commuted with the same people for years. It wasn't just me. And so I was taking four hours a day typically on transit on this commute and I would take a nap and that also took a toll on me. I was just like, you know what? This is not how life should be. This is not okay. I'll figure it out. And side note, my mortgage is less than $600. (laughs) So I have this tiny little place that I have with this tiny little mortgage. And I was like, if I can't even get less than $600 for this. I'm a mess, but I'll figure it out. And so that's what ended up happening. And I just got scrappy. Weirdly, I had a phenomenal month. Like when I came back from Australia, I was like, I got to make money. Like necessity really impacts what your action will be. And I was like, I don't have like a job. (laughs) (laughs) So so I got to make money. And so before I came back from Australia, because I was there for two months, I just started like putting things out there so that I'd have income upon arrival. So let's talk about that. How did you actually start monetizing? For the first couple of years, I was self-employed versus what I view myself now, which is as an entrepreneur. I think they're very different. I think they're very, very awesome, but they're different. So I was doing projects for people. I was doing social media management, which I hated. I was doing freelance writing, which I don't like anymore. (laughs) I've never really loved it. I was doing all the things. Weirdly, I loved my side hustles more than even social media management, which told me I had to get out of that. And to this day, I love those people. I am so grateful to my side hustle people because I ended up landing on a brand ambassador team with these amazing girls, super country, when I mean country, like Western country, okay? How I grew up, (laughs) but they kept me paid. And what happened was as they would get brand partnerships, if you will, they would be managing these brand partnerships And they would be like, Michelle, like, this is what the hours and stay on my team. They knew that I would be a good worker. And so I always had work and we would do these like cool events. So I was working for myself, but I was kind of hanging out with these same people and I was getting paid weekly or other every other week. And I had all these products like food products and it was awesome. It was an awesome way to build out my business because I knew that I would get work. I knew that with these side hustles, actually, sometimes a lot of times they were like, look, we have to hand out X, Y, Z amount of product. And once that's done, we'll still pay you for the entire shift. Okay. Like if you want me to hand out, we will get this done. So it was like all these incentives to work efficiently. And it was great. But then over time, I was like, wait, especially as my debt started going down and I was like getting that like together, I was like, I'm starting to learn things that I could share with other people. (laughs) Uh, And so I was starting to feel like I was potentially an entrepreneur, like my mind was changing. And so I started making little products and these small forays, if you will, into entrepreneurship just got bigger and bigger over time. And to share one of my favorite things that i did i wrote a romance novel it had nothing to do with what my personal finance stuff was but it was still a skill that i built through blogging and writing and freelancing it was just being deployed in a different way and i want people to kind of think about that. I'm like your skills can be used in a lot of different ways and so one day i was like you know what i read these romances all the time like i could write a romance I wrote one and that first month I made $514, I believe is what I made. And that's a big deal because I mentioned that my mortgage was less than $600. That was my mortgage. And so I started like really thinking about, well, what are the products that I could create? Like I made a course because of that book sale. And it's just kind of grown over time, and I think anyone who's listening to this and they're like I'm nervous to do these things. I tend to act fast and then go back and refine. I don't have this like perfectionist thing that a lot of people have. I've made a lot of money imperfectly, and I'm okay with that. That's brilliant because the
0: way that folks like you and I make money, it's very difficult for people who are not in this world to understand. Like Work is supposed to be very compartmentalized. You have a title, you have a list of roles and responsibilities, blah, blah, blah. And When you're a creative person that's making money, you can have a million different fucking things going on that are completely unrelated, but are all bringing in that cash flow. So can you tell us all the different ways that you currently make
2: money? Yes. In fact, I make money, I want to say 11 different ways. And right now, as we speak, I'm in a moment where I'm pivoting back to focusing on passive income. I've kind of alluded to it on social media and stuff like that, but it's what really makes me excited. But right now, this is what my revenue streams look like. This is where I'm focused. Romance ebooks, because I love them so much. So COVID killed any kind of romance writing, by the way. So my romance ebooks stopped publishing and writing them because I was trying not to die during a a global pandemic. And so that just kind of killed my inspiration. But anyway, writing them again. I have a I have courses, so I have a course called Make Money with Ebooks where I just talk about kind of the strategy and things like that, affiliate marketing, which I love. I've always loved affiliate marketing. I am focused on growing ad revenue in 2023. So with my Colorado website specifically, I want that website to generate ad revenue, so I'm working on that. I have a subscription product called podcasters getting paid and it's a resource and it's very inexpensive. It's free or $5, but I've also monetized the free part. So if you want to talk about that, there you go. I do one-on-one coaching, but only 10 hours a month. That is new. I do not want to do high ticket coaching. I am not excited about that at all, but I do love one-on-one coaching. I do seem to enjoy that. I'm working on a non book called Not a Financial Unicorn, where I just talk about these unsexy financial stories. I feel like my story is very unsexy. It's incomplete because it's an ongoing story, but I feel like there's a lot of press given to stories like, I paid off $100,000 in two months, and you're like, that's not me. <laughs> like, oh my God, Like, if this is what I'm competing with, why am I bothering? And for me, I'm like, no, like there's other stories. So that is a project that I hope to make okay money with in 2023. So I love working with brand partners. It's so much fun. It's a great way to pay for my time to create the content that I'm creating. And then finally freelance, right? That is something that I'm phasing out. (laughs) hopefully by summer, like the goal is by my birthday in July. And then I have some miscellaneous things that I I make money with. So I do workshops. I have a intensive workshop that I'm going to do. So in lieu of high ticket coaching, where I have to be available to people for nine weeks like that, I'm not about that. I'm doing more like tighter offerings that are high ticket. This one's random, but I love it and it's aligned with my mission. Last year, I did a modeling shoot with an outdoor apparel company in New Mexico. It was super awesome. Yes, paid. It was to grow my brand. It was great because it was in Taos and Santa Fe, and it was just amazing. And it was in alignment with my mission. So those are my income streams. And it's taken a while. I know when you're listening to this, you're like, that's a lot of income streams. It's taken a while to really understand where each income stream lives, like the logistics behind, like how to do things to get people engaged with the different funnels for them. And so I spend a lot of time like at the end of each year working on logistics this year in particular, because I have such an aggressive goal for this year. That's what I've been doing. It's just like, what's the ecosystem for my brand and how do I get people to do what they need to do? So like, If you are listening to this episode, maybe you could give a crap about Colorado, but you're intrigued by the fact that both Janice and I have these different niches, right? How can they coexist in my brand ecosystem? And the company I like to share often is Amazon. Amazon has this really, really intriguing brand ecosystem where there's like Amazon Books. Audible, Prime, the Fire Stick, you know yep. what I mean? Like there's all these different things and I'm like there's so many ways you can make money within your brand. It's just like understanding how to, the importance of each thing.
0: Yeah, and I think it's also really insightful that you share that you are making pivots because it's an important thing to realize that you don't need to be stuck doing something because you've been doing it for X amount of time. Like once it feels like that season of your business, That way of making money is just no longer aligned with the life that you're envisioning going forward. It's perfectly okay to just let that shit go and not make it mean like that you're quitting
2: or you're giving up or whatever. I'm one of those people, once I'm done, I'm done. It takes a while though. Like as you heard with the job story, it just took a while for me to be like, I'm done. But once I'm done, this is with anything, people, situations, like once I'm done with you, I'm done. And so it is clear (laughs) I am so done With certain things right now. And I'm like, okay, I'm pivoting. It's great. It can be at the same time. It's very exhilarating. Like I'm very excited about this next phase of my business because I'm ready for it now. I'm ready to embrace it.
0: Tell me a little bit more about how you're able to show up imperfectly in the ways that you make money and make decisions in your business. Because I think the perfectionism is definitely the thing that holds so many people back. It's like, I'm not going to launch this course until it's 100% perfect or whatever the hell it is that you're trying to do. That can just have you doing
2: a whole lot of nothing. Moving into 2023, I've learned a couple of things and I've observed some things. Most people talk too much. (laughs) They talk too much. They don't do shit. <laughs> and then they're like, why is it so-and-so is here and I'm not there? I'm like, you won't even put yourself out there to try. And I will put myself out there to try. This means I will get rejected. Like I have a callous over that part of my emotions about how that impacts. It does not impact me at all because I make money but I built up that callous, if you will, to be callous because I'm putting myself out there over and over and over again in a lot of different ways. And I understand that I am not going to resonate with some people. I might not resonate with people because they're like, we don't understand this black chick from Colorado. Like I know that I lived out East. I know how that is. That's fine. I might not resonate with you because you just don't believe in what I'm saying. That's fine. I'm not trying to be everybody's best friend. If you are a person who is like, I'm trying and I understand that each time I try, I learn a little bit more and that helps me to grow and make impact. Like my goal as we fight fascism in the United States, I'm going to be blunt. My goal is to help entrepreneurs out there who are creating transformative content get paid. I want you to get paid and that means I need to show up for you however I show up. And so last year I was like, I don't need these schedules and stuff. Like, why am I doing that to myself? I'm doing what's called the unschedule. I don't have schedules. I'm like, I go with the flow. (laughs) I batch a lot of work. Like the big thing is I batch quite a bit. I think everyone should batch. Batching is your friend is the most glorious thing ever because it means that you're super intentional, but it also means you're building out space to do a couple of things. Work on strategy focus on rest. And if you're neurodivergent, which I have to get checked for me, that also builds in that buffer. If you're having a moment where you're like, I'm not hyper focusing right now. So regardless of where you land, please batch, (laughs) but I just show up imperfectly. So this year, what that means is I batch a lot of content and I get stuff out. And I'm aggressive, like I'm being very aggressive. But if I have a schedule, I find that that becomes like a problem. I'm a lot more productive without having a schedule. Cause I know the end goal. Like I want to make a certain amount of money. I've sat there and worked through the logistics of like, if I want to make, say for example, $50,000 with my course, How many courses do I need to sell at each tier to make that happen? Like I really spent a lot of time focusing on what do I need to do to get the result that I want? The other thing I would say is this, most people way overestimate the amount of money that would really transform their lives. It's probably a lot lower, like the amount monthly than they would think. For me, again, it was $500, like consistently getting passively like $500 that was huge. That's my mortgage. That's my mortgage. That was great. And for a lot of people, they're sitting there and they're seeing other people's stories like, oh, you know, I make like 30000 a month. And it's like, yeah, that's awesome. But you're not there yet. What like amount can get you started to hit the 30000 a month? How about just trying to replace your fucking salary? Yeah, I've done that. And I'm like, whoa, like I'm a really good boss in some ways. (laughs) However, I do want to share two things. The other thing that I do is I schedule downtime. This is something I aggressively do. In fact, I am my dream boss. Okay. Every quarter I have a retreat. This quarter, I already did it. I started off this year in Breckenridge, Colorado. That's an easy place for me to go. It's just like an hour and a half from my house. I get on bus staying, which is a bus here in Denver that takes us up to the mountains. And then I have like three days of soaking wine, soaking the hot tub on the patio, looking at the mountains, fireplaces, meeting awesome people. It's glorious. I have the next one planned. I'm almost done figuring out the time, but I'm gonna go to the Pacific Northwest. I love that region. It's beautiful. I know where I'm staying. It has a spa. It's beautiful. It's near Mount Hood. It's not expensive. If you're listening, you're like, Michelle, I don't have money. It is not expensive. I'm staying at a boutique, bougie-ass hostel that has shared or single rooms. And I'll share a link to it as well. And I'm gonna take the train from Denver, up to Portland, to Seattle, to Vancouver, and then I'm going to come back down. So like I do things like that. Why would I work my own business like I'm working for the man? Why would I do that? <laughs> like, And I meet so many entrepreneurs who do not intentionally design all aspects of their work. And I do not understand that. I work from patios. The weather here is much nicer than people think. So you'll see me on Twitter. I'm like, today's patio day because why would I work for myself in such a way that's not enjoyable? Like I went through hell at my other job. I had a stalker. I don't want that. I want to go to dance classes. I want to see my mom. I want to spend time with grandma. Like there are just things that I want to do, but you have to be intentional. You have to give some thought. I work a 10 month front facing year. I know a lot of people are like, what in the world does that mean? It means that from like After Martin Luther King weekend, because that's when the holidays end for me, technically. Okay, so that's when we're recording. From mid-gen until the end of October, beginning to November, I am like killing it. I'm hustling interviews, conferences, things like that then I taper off and I do things only for myself. I'm not doing any front-facing stuff. I'm not really on social media for about two and a half months of the year. It doesn't necessarily mean I'm not doing things that make money, but I'm also building up passive income so I can do stuff like that. And then I give my energy to designing out, what does my business look like for 2023? What am I thinking about for 2024? So the one big thing I decided for 2024 already, I'm not attending any conferences in 2024 we're good i don't need to go so this year i'm going to several events and things like that 2024 i'm not doing it i'm not going anywhere (laughs) that isn't like living abroad and working from abroad i've already made that decision but for me to have the clarity to do that i needed to build in time to do that i have gone on a tangent
0: girl that was so
2: helpful because it really does
0: drive home the importance of being very intentional and holistic in your approach when it comes to entrepreneurship. Like you mentioned, if you are stuck in another fucking rat race, that is your own doing now, because this is your business and you have created this system that does not allow you the freedom that you allegedly wanted. That's your own damn fault, sis. You can't blame nobody. (laughs) It
2: makes no sense. Like I'm not working like that.
0: No, we are not doing that. That is not the move. Okay. So that's one thing this year I'm doing quarterly, like shutdowns of my calendar. So like March, June, September, and December, like you can't find me because those are the months that I'm chilling. Okay. That's the type of shit I'm on (laughs) in this new year.
2: You know what? She's like, I'm be on the
0: beach. Yes. <laughs> on my drink. It's not even a quarterly retreat at this point. It's a quarterly <laughs> fucking detox. Oh,
2: you know what? That's my next goal. Yeah. That'll be my next
0: goal. <laughs> I love <laughs> it. And me, me alone. <laughs> we have the power. We really do have the power to create our dream lives and money is a big part of that. And I want to close out the conversation with something that I know you're very passionate about, which is this topic of making money in an ethical, equitable, socially responsible way as an entrepreneur, right? Because there's a lot of, especially in the online world, you know, I think of like the Kardashians selling shit like flat tummy tea and, you know, all kinds of fucking products that you know, they're trash. You probably don't feel good about promoting them. And not all money is good money. So talk to us about that and kind of your perspective.
2: I'm going to admit that I feel that this question and this issue kept me from earning more money sooner, but I am glad that I've been on the trajectory that I've been on because it's just so deeply important to me to get it right or as right as I can and make adjustments when I make mistakes. One of the things that I spend a lot of time thinking about is the content that I create. Like I talk about why are we normalizing $2,000 rent? I talk about seeing Black people hiking. Like there's just different things that I really care about. And what that means is my audience typically cares about these topics too. But I also have a significant portion of my audience that are marginalized communities. I am not perfect at DEI work. That is something that I'm still understanding and I am not a professional. We leave that to the professionals. But within building out my business in an ethical way, I have to keep that in mind that if I'm trying to help transform people's lives, that there are people who were like me, who are supporting their parents, a spouse who's injured or ill or children, and they're trying to build their lives. And make them better, and they cannot afford $3,000 coaching. I don't want to build out a brand where that's the only thing I offer, and they make a spending decision that could financially harm them. That's not okay with me. And so, what I looked at was how can I be of service in such a way that I'm still getting paid? I can meet people wherever they're at because I don't want to get in your pockets. Like That's not what I'm trying to say. I just want to make sure that I am thoughtful about all the different ways I can be of service to you without having that, if you want to invest with me, I hate that. I hate that phrase. It's like my least favorite online content creator phrase. I hate it because more often than not that invest with me transitions into a really high ticket offering, which is fine. Like I have paid for high ticket offerings. I will continue to do so. But those creators where I've done that have had other things available to me before I would ever have to make a decision like that. Like when we are creating these brands, there are ways for us to make our money, make our coins. You've got a blog that is highlighting and sharing Puerto Rican food recipes. It's just so beautiful, right? Let Ad Thrive or whoever is now your partner pay those coins. There's a reason why I'm growing my Colorado project because I'm still using writing as a skill deployed in a different way. If they want to pay me $100,000 next year, I am fine with that. Because then that means other ways that I show up for people can be so much more cheaper. It can be just approached in a different way. And this was something I wanted to bring up. It also means the amount of work that I have to do to get that going has to be thought about. So at the end of last year, I'm in a closed group with some very, very high earning freelancers. They all made between 200 and $350,000. So they're very high earning freelancers. And I was like, how'd you do that? Because you know, I don't love freelancing, but I was curious, right? Because it's writing. And they're like, well, these are our averages. So these were black and white people. It wasn't just white people. And it was very interesting because it really informed me what I needed to do for my content creation on my website. So they were writing between 300 to 650 posts on average. They shared like how much writing they were doing on a daily basis, weekly basis, what they earned per word, per project, and then how many clients they worked with, they were working with between 20 to 25 clients. None of that was appealing to me, but I learned some things, which is when I start writing on my own website, their output really schooled me on the kind of output I need to consider for my own project. Like how many posts I need to be thinking about, how productive I need to be in order to grow the page views, in order to attract the media vine and ad thrive, which would pay me in a different way so that I can show up differently for my community. I have met so many people who are creators who are like paid is paid as long as it's ethical. So I'm writing my romance novels again. They're selling again. I'm super thrilled about it. I don't care if two, three, four thousand $4,000 comes in for my row. I love that for my romances each month. That is a beautiful thing. Why? Because if someone wants coaching from me, that helps to subsidize that. If I'm working with a brand that helps, that I love, like you can't just work with any brand. It has to be a brand that's respectful to me. It's going to be respectful to you that I love. And they're paying me thousands of dollars so that I can create content that really serves. That's great. That way I don't have to charge you three, four, five thousand $5,000 for some bullshit coaching when I could just do like a workshop And we're good because I don't want to be showing up for nine weeks for you anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't want to design my business like that. I'm not anti-coaching. I'm anti-coaching for me.
0: (laughs) No, I feel you. I love that approach. It really does make a lot of sense. And especially if you're leaning into the more passive ways to start monetizing what you're already doing, it really opens up so much space and it allows you to be generous in your business. And I totally agree with that, like with the fact that My food blog basically pays my living expenses. It's like, I can be very intentional about what I do with my active time. And that's freeing.
2: By the way, I'm one of those podcast listeners who listens to episodes over and over again. And I love the one that you did. I feel like at the end of 2021, this is random, but I wanted to tell you this, where you talked about hitting, I think, 250,000. And it's like my favorite episode. You're like, look. (laughs) Thank (laughs) you. Thank you. Let me school you on what you need to know. And so this is part of the reason why, like when my friends shared how productive they were, I was like, okay, this is a lesson to me about how much more productive I could be within the time I'm allocating towards this. So the other thing I would say is this, one of my friends, when I first started blogging, who's a millionaire now, seriously, she had small kids at the time, like two or three of them, like several. And she's like, I only have 20 hours a week to do this project because I got the kids. That's all she had. She had to do this when they were out of the house. And so the other thing to consider is how focused are you in the time that you have? And that was something that I've spent a lot of time on just thinking like, how focused am I in the time that I have? It's not working 12 hour days. That's stupid. Like there's just a point where you're not productive anyway. So I tend to work like really, really sustained focused work. Nine to four is typically my average. I wake up naturally. (laughs) At the beginning of the year, I usually like try to wake up earlier. I start setting my alarm clock because I'm trying to get a little more work in and I'm trying to like get in shape again to lose my COVID 40 pounds. (laughs) But the point is it's like, everything has a season within the business and I'm very intentional about when I'm focusing on a thing, it's the thing. So like today we're doing this, I'm enjoying it. It's great. When we get off, I'm going to focus on finalizing my course. Like I do a thing a day and maybe I'll add in another thing, but it's like, as a multi-passionate creator, I have to be careful that I'm doing what I need to do for the thing that I'm focused on in that moment. Once I'm done with that, I can shift focus. So I think you can be multi-passionate, but you have to be so like zeroed in on the thing that you're doing in that moment and give it the right time. But just to be like, I'm working 12 hours. Why are you working 12 hours? That's yeah. it. Why? You're not being effective
0: at that point. And there's a difference between being busy and being productive. And I think that's yes. something that a lot of entrepreneurs figure out after you realize, oh, wow, I'm burning out at this the same way that I was burning out in a career. So, Michelle, this has been an incredible conversation. I know there's going to be so many folks who want to find out more about you, what you're up to. So please tell us where we can find you and what are the latest offerings that we have to look forward to from you?
2: You can find me at Michelle's Money Hungry. Dot com. I think that's the easiest way because there's a page on there that kind of directs you to the other things that I work on. If you're interested in Colorado, I have Square State Colorado that I share all things Colorado. I also have the Brand Building Lab, which is a new platform that I've been quietly working on in the background where I talk about designing an impactful online brand that actually gets paid like our lovely host. I also have a romance pin name that you can email me. I'll let you know, but I'm not gonna share it on the show cause this is a pin name, but it's a lot of fun. I'm active on Twitter, but that's about to burst into flames. So we'll see how that goes. And then I am actually growing a TikTok and everything I do is imperfect. So I'm like, we're just going to show up and we'll see how that goes. Everything I do, I try to give it a, like a year to see if it works. If you're a podcaster, I have a resource called Podcasters Getting Paid. Check it out. I'll share a link with Janice, as well as if you're into writing as an ebook writer, I'll share those things with Janice. It's a lot. It's a lot. It's an ecosystem. And this is my point. The brand ecosystem. Not everything is going to be relevant to you. See the thing that makes sense. And there you go.
0: I love it. This is what it means to be a creative entrepreneur, y'all. You do not need to live in a box. You can build from inspiration. You can build from experience. You can just make money doing all the different things. And that's why I love what you do, Michelle. And I love what you are offering for folks to just be able to start connecting with that inner creative that we all have and find a way to package it and offer it up to the world so that people can enjoy it. Thank you for being here.
2: Thank you for having me. And you are one of my inspirations. I'm so proud of you. I just, good things will continue to flow your way. And I might be in Puerto Rico. I'll I'll let you know when that is. Definitely want to hang out and just thank you. And thank you for, to the point that I was making about content and being impactful and intentional I love what Janice does because of this. Like It so resonates with me. It's so important. And she's still getting paid, okay? (laughs) You don't have to be
0: a trash-ass human taking sleazy-ass money to be well-paid in the creator space. I feel like... The more authenticity you bring to the space, you actually really start to attract aligned partnerships. And people see that. People see when you're selling fucking snake oil versus when you're actually coming from a place of service. And I think that makes everything better because folks can feel good about working with you and you can feel good about the money that you make doing the thing that you know matters. So thank you so much, Michelle. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you are ready to take your dinero to the next level, sign up for our free 14-page guide, The Financially Lit Latina, The Ultimate Blueprint for Becoming Poderosa with Your Dinero. This 14-page guide includes our best tips on money mindset, budgeting, debt repayment, career, investing, financial independence, side hustles, and more. And you can get it completely free. So to get your copy of the Financially Lit Latina, just head over to YoQuieroDineroPodcast.com slash start. That's YoQuieroDineroPodcast.com slash start and start transforming your dinero story today. Until next time, stay empowered, stay inspired, and stay poderosa.